friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the January 18th edition of the sunny side of sports. Defending men's champion Rafael Nadal was knocked out in the second round of the Australian Open Tennis Tournament on Wednesday. The 36-year-old Nadal, hobbled by a hip injury during the match, lost in straight sets to American Mackenzie McDonald. The final score from Melbourne, 6-4, 6-4, and 7-5. Rafa injured his left hip in the second set and needed treatment off court. The Spanish star returned to finish the match, but his movement was clearly hampered. I didn't want to retire to be defending champion here. I didn't want to leave the court with a retirement. Better like this at the end. I lost. Nothing to say. Congratulate the opponent. That's the sport at the same time. Uh, just try your best till the end. Doesn't matter the chances that you have. That's the philosophy of the, of the sport. And I tried to, to keep playing without increasing the damage. No, that's that's it. I was not able to hit the back end at all, uh, and I was not able to, to run for the balls, but I just wanted to finish the match. That's it. Nadal's wife, Mary Pareo, wiped away tears as her husband took a medical timeout during the second set. Rafa says at this point, it's hard to diagnose his hip injury. It's difficult to make a resolution if it's a muscle, if it's the, the joint, if it's the cartilage. I don't know. That's it. By the way, I'm tired to talk about I, I understand, but uh, I lost the match. That's it. I tried till the end. I don't know if in good conditions I will win the match. I will have better chances without a doubt, but uh, at the end, that's it. Well, I just tried. It was not possible. Meanwhile, for American Mackenzie McDonald, it was the biggest win of his professional tennis career, but his celebration was tempered knowing he was playing against an injured Nadal. Not easy, I'd say. I feel like when he was kind of hurt there in the third, um, made me think a little bit more about the match and stuff um, instead of about myself and the game, which I was executing and playing so well in the first couple of sets. So uh hate that for him. Hope he feels better. Another American, Francis Tiafo, is feeling good after also advancing to the third round. Really confident. I mean, I've, I've felt like I've, I've been really confident, right? I mean, I felt like I've been playing really well. I mean, even the other day, I could have, you know, won in three easy sets. Um, and it helps that it actually ended up being a scare because I, I, I was very aware that, you know, things can get away from you. And, you know, I just kept my foot on the gas the whole time going through, and, and it, was, it was a good performance here. Tiafo put his foot on the gas and powered past China's Shang Zheng Cheng, 6-4, 6-4, and 6-1. Hi, I'm Francis Tiafo. You're listening to Sunny Side of Sports on Voice of America. In women's results Wednesday at the Australian Open, top seed and world number one Iga Fiontek of Poland moved into the third round with a 6-2, 6-3 victory over Colombia's Camila Osorio. Sviantek says the final score is deceptive. Well, it was uh, really intense and like pretty physical, so I think the it was much tougher than what the score says. Camila, you know, she's a great fighter, so uh, she didn't give me many points for free, but I'm happy that I was solid and I could finish it. 
Iga Fiontek also comments on beginning the year as the world's top-ranked female tennis player. Well, it's not easy because uh, with that number, the expectations are a little bit higher from outside for sure, but also from myself a little bit. So I'm trying to manage that properly, also trying to kind of stay in my bubble during the tournament. So I'm not going to get distra- distracted by, by all of that. I don't want people to like kind of take for granted that if you ha- if you're world number one, you're going to you know win everything because we still have to fight for every match and we still have to really be ready for everything but I don't really think that ranking play you know so we have to really like it doesn't really matter what ranking I have I want to for sure use my experience that I gained. Iga Sviantec will next play Spain's Cristina Buxa in the third round in Melbourne. Iga is a three-time major singles champion, having won the French Open in 2020 and 2022 and the U.S. Open in 2022. Her best performance at the Australian Open came last year when she reached the semifinals before losing to American Danielle Collins. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. VOA VOA Africa is your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment, and music. Stay engaged with VOA Africa. We love to hear your voice. Call us 24-7 on WhatsApp and leave a message. Leave comments, requests or greetings. We may play your message on VOA Africa. Dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. VOA Africa is always happy to hear your voice. The number again is... The international code plus one, then two zero two two five eight three zero seven six. Washington Post soccer writer Stephen Goff has been sharing his insights about the U.S. men's and women's national teams. We'll hear part two of my interview with Steve shortly. But first, an update on the American women, who will be bidding for a third consecutive Women's World Cup title later this year in Australia and New Zealand. The USA women kicked off their 2023 schedule Wednesday in winning, convincing fashion, beating World Cup co-host New Zealand 4-0 in a friendly international played in Wellington, New Zealand. All four goals came in the second half. Two by Mallory Swanson and the others by Alex Morgan and Lynn Williams. The teams will meet again on Saturday in another friendly in Auckland, New Zealand. Meanwhile, the U.S. men's national soccer team will play friendly matches next week against Serbia and Colombia in Southern California. The U.S. men's team ended last year with controversy involving head coach Greg Berhalter, whose contract expired at the end of 2022, and young player Gio Reyna. I asked Washington Post soccer writer Steve Goff about the Berhalter-Reyna dispute. 
Yeah, so Gio Reyna came into the World Cup as one of the young, promising stars of this U.S. team, 20 years old, the son of former U.S. captain Claudio Reyna. Um, and fans expected him to, to play, um, you know, if not start. Uh, he didn't. And right from the from the outset, there was, you know, there were indications that Berhalter just was not going to use him in a prominent role. Uh, that seemed to fester behind the scenes. Um, Reyna, uh, you know, reportedly just wasn't, or according to Berhalter, wasn't putting enough effort into his training routine, into the, uh, uh, the, the practice game, the scrimmage, whatever you want to call it, a few days before the World Cup started. And um, so he, he, you know, he didn't play him, and um, there was an uproar over it. Um, eventually, he did play a significant minute in the round of 16 game. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so that, that starting point, the speech, which he thought was completely off the record in New York a few days after the World in this day and age, you know, nothing's off the record. And, and Berthold shouldn't have been so naive to think it was. He was critical without naming Reina, uh, and the Reina family took issue with that. You know, weeks later, we found out that Reina's mother, um, a former soccer player, uh, had complained to the U.S. Soccer Federation and had turned over some alleged dirt about Greg Berhalter <laughs> in his personal life when he was 18 years old. Um, you know, the Reinas admitted to that. Um, and it just became a really, became a soap opera. And, and I mean, in, in a way you could say U.S. U.S. soccer has grown up now that it's, it's, it's tabloid fodder, um, <laughs> with, with, with players and coaches and parents. Uh, so, you know, you're adding all those elements into the review of Greg Berhalter and whether the soccer federation will offer him a new contract. Um, it's tricky, you know, I mean, Will Gio Reyna ever play for Greg Berhalter heading forward? Um, does Berhalter have the confidence of his players if they know that, you know, in certain settings, he might toss them under the bus too? Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, there's also a review of Berhalter's behavior back when he was 18 years old, uh, an independent investigation. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what the Federation decides, whether to offer him a new contract or go in a new direction. Um, you could certainly make the case that even without any of these controversies, that they should go in a new direction. Um, you add all this into it, I think it certainly adds to the um, maybe the pressure to, to make a change and, and, and try a new coach heading into the new World Cup cycle. Steve, the U.S. men's national soccer team will uh, kick off its 2023 schedule with a couple of friendly matches on January 25th against Serbia and then three days later against Colombia, both matches in California. Uh, what does the coaching leadership look like for those matches, Steve, in terms of the USA? Yeah, Anthony Hudson, one of the World Cup assistants, will oversee the team with uh, some other holdover staff. Uh, they're selecting a team. This, this is not in a FIFA official FIFA period, so uh, the only players who are available, for the most part, are the ones who aren't in season. So, uh, you know, the European players, the big e European players, will not be there. This is mostly an MLS roster uh, because MLS MLS's season does not start until uh, late next month. 
So they'll call in uh, um, a lot of MLS players and a lot of young players, a few players from Europe, you know, like from Scandinavia, maybe whose seasons haven't started either because of the because of the weather. Um, you know, this is an annual thing for the US, for U.S. soccer, a chance to look at players who are on the fringe of the regular roster or who are young and up and coming, and they just need to tar- take a harder look at in a you know in a um, uh, in a, a domestic setting. And a couple games against teams, which will not be at full strength either. So it's really a, uh, I mean, you could call it a B team or a B game. It's probably more of a C, C team and a, a C, C matches. Steve, I know it's been uh, almost a month since the World Cup final in Qatar. Uh, I watched it on TV here in the States, but where do you rate that final? I know how, how many World Cup finals have you you attended in your uh, your long career with the Post? Uh, this was number eight for me, and you know I can say without reservation that this was the best final I've seen in person. And I would you know I would say looking over the history of World Cups going back to 1930, this will go down as. It's got to be the best one or one of the best ones. I mean, I'm certainly, I imagine there's some arguments um, over a few matches, but, um, you know, in terms of theater and drama, uh, you couldn't beat this. You, know, mm. you have the two best, two best players in the world with Messi for Argentina and Mbappe for France. You had a high-scoring game. You had a great comeback late by France. Um, you had goals by each team in extra time, and then – you know, obviously the drama, the culmination um, in penalty kicks, but um, it, was, it was it was extraordinary, and I don't think anyone will will ever forget this one for a very long time. Certainly, an extraordinary World Cup final, Steve. Finally, uh, what about off the pitch, Steve? What was your best memory in Qatar? Um, I think it's just a it was just a fascinating place to be. I mean, certainly, a lot of controversy about whether the World Cup ever should have been there in the first place, but. You know, having been there um, and been to a part of the world where, you know, I've never visited and I imagine most uh, fans had never visited, um, you know, it was, it was certainly eye-opening and different. I mean, it, it wasn't, uh, honestly, it wasn't as, as as exotic as I thought it would be. I mean, it was, um, you know, a very, very modern country. There's a lot of money there, obviously. Um, you know, shopping malls and strip malls and big highways and, you know, warm weather. So in, in a lot of ways, it was like, it was like being in Phoenix, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make light of the human rights issues there and, and workers' rights. Um, but from a, from a setting and from a climate and from a, um, you know, a, a, a societal and, and commercial uh, standpoint, it was, you know, it wasn't, wasn't much different than, than being in, being in, in some uh, Southern, uh, U.S. cities. Stephen Goff, the soccer writer for the Washington Post newspaper. Steve, thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with us. My pleasure, Sonny. Anytime. VOA Sunny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on the Voice of America.
Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. Let's give a sunny side of sports birthday salute to Pep Guardiola, considered one of the greatest football managers of all time. Guardiola holds the record for the most consecutive league games won in La Liga with Barcelona, the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich, and the Premier League with Manchester City. Since signing with Man City in 2016, Pep Guardiola has won four Premier League titles. Happy 52nd birthday to Manchester City's manager, Pep Guardiola. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Encounter. A former Mexican vice minister of trade joins the vice president of the Council of the Americas and America Society to analyze the outcome of the annual Three Amigos Summit, where the leaders of Canada, Mexico and the United States met to discuss thorny issues of trade, immigration and other key issues affecting their region. The promise and perils facing the Western Hemisphere next, this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. Here in Washington, U.S. President Joe Biden has welcomed the reigning National Basketball Association champion Golden State Warriors to the White House. The AP Sagar Magani reports. The president says the Golden State Warriors are a dynasty. Four NBA titles, six finals, and in the last eight seasons. That ain't bad, man. The president welcomed the Warriors in the East Room, calling two-time NBA MVP Steph Curry one of the great sportsmen of our time. I think we were here seven years ago um, for our first championship. They had not been back since. Donald Trump disinvited them from the annual celebration because Curry said he wasn't interested in showing up. The Golden State Warriors are always welcome in this White House. The president praised Curry and the Warriors for reflecting America itself with their style of play. Constant motion with individual freedom and personality that comes together as one team. A team that plays with joy, with drive, to be their best. Vice President Harris joined in, calling herself a lifelong Warriors fan and remembering driving to a playoff game in Oakland while California's Attorney General and worrying about missing tip-off while in bad traffic. To the dismay of my security detail, I decided to jump out the car (laughs) and 
take Bart instead. <laughs> Earlier, Curry and Coach Steve Kerr visited the White House briefing room. Curry told reporters he wanted to thank the president for helping free women's basketball star Brittany Griner from Russia. It's a big part of uh, our, our basketball family, and uh, it means a lot to know that she's here and home safe with her family. Kerr said he had taken part in a gun violence roundtable with White House officials, joined by Warriors players Clay Thompson and Moses Moody. Learned a lot about what this administration is doing to, uh, to help um, create a safer environment in our country, uh, something that's uh, very close to my heart. Kerr's dad was shot to death nearly 40 years ago in Beirut. I'm Sagar Megan. Thanks, Sagar. In NBA action Tuesday night, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, San Antonio, and Denver all posted victories. The AP's John Letherby reports. Just four games in the NBA, but a lot riding on a tight race near the top of the Eastern Conference. In L.A., Joel Embiid had 41 points to help lift the Sixers to a 120-110 win over the Clippers. Philadelphia's won 16 of their last 20, and that meant the Bucks needed a win at home over Toronto to maintain their half-game lead for the second seed. Chuck Friedman has the details from Milwaukee. Drew Holiday has eclipsed his season high two nights in a row. His 37 points helped lead the Bucks past the Raptors 130-122. to The Bucks played without Giannis Antetokounmpo for a fourth straight game and turned a seven-point halftime deficit into an eight-point lead by late third quarter. Bucks coach Mike Budenholzer says Holiday is carrying the shorthanded Bucks. He's just stepped up in a big way. You know, it's two games in a row, just vintage Drew Holiday, and um, he just seems like he's got a bounce, he's got a pop. Fred Van Vliet had 39 for the losing Raptors. Chuck Freeman, Milwaukee. In San Antonio, the Spurs got a career night from Keldon Johnson. He had 36 points and 11 rebounds to lead them to a 106-98 upset win over visiting Brooklyn. In Denver, just another night for the reigning league MVP, Nikola Jokic with a triple-double, 36 points, 12 boards and 10 assists in a 122-113 win over Portland, the Nuggets' 14th straight win at home. We are playing with a lot of confidence. We are sharing the ball. Everybody, I think, I think hopefully everybody is happy the, 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 the way that we played uh, today and, and usually. So hopefully, hopefully we, we can continue to play like this and win games. I'm John Leatherby. Thanks, John. If you're just tuning in, Defending men's champion Rafael Nadal was the big upset victim Wednesday at the Australian Open Tennis Tournament. Craig Gabriel recaps the action from Melbourne. Iga Swiatek started the day on the Rod Laver Arena, beating a smiling Colombian named Camila Osorio 6-2-6-3. But Iga said the scoreline didn't quite reflect the toughness of the match, but it was Rafa Nadal's demise on the same court that captured all the attention. He lost 6-4, 6-4, 7-5 to young American Mackenzie McDonald. And for him, it was the biggest win of his career. It was in the second set that things really went bad for Nadal. He pulled up short as he was chasing down a return. Immediately, Nadal started pressing his right hip. He went off court for treatment and decided to keep playing, but it was to no avail. He said he thought of retiring from the match, but he's too much respect for his opponent and being the defending champion, he wanted to see things through. The Greeks got through. Both Stefano Tsitsipas and Maria Sakkari 
Felix Auger-Aliassime came back from two sets to love down. There were no issues for Daniel Medvedev, who beat John Millman, 7-6-6-2-6-2. And there was a fascinating match between two female young guns as Coco Goff defeated Emma Raducanu in their first pro match against one another. Goff won 6-3-7-6. Let's hear from them. Um, yeah, it was definitely, I think it was a tough match for me, um, like with the conditions a lot different from my first round match playing in the 11 o'clock in the day with the roof open to playing at night in like heavy conditions. So it was really tough um, to kind of find in a lot of those points. I was just trying to hang in there. So for the most part, I think I did well today. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. She is a great mover, great athlete, puts another ball in play. So you feel like you you know, have to squeeze it closer to the line and then she kind of teases errors out of you that way. But, yeah, I think she's a good athlete. Uh, something is one of her strengths, I'd say. But um, I think I had a lot of chances today and I was creating quite a few. So, yeah, it's, it's obviously sucks a bit, but it's fine. Craig Gabriel, VOA Sports. Melbourne. Thanks, Craig. In England's FA Cup football competition, defending champion Liverpool defeated Wolverhampton Tuesday 1-0 to advance to the fourth round. The win was a much-needed boost to Liverpool's troubled season, as we hear now from VOA's Gwen Uten. Sporty greetings, Gwen! Sporty greetings, Sonny. Liverpool claimed their 1-0 victory courtesy of a wonder goal by winger Harvey Elliott in the 13th minute. The Reds held on to their lead against Wolverhampton for the remainder of the match to clinch a win that fans hope will put the team back on track. Liverpool have struggled since the Premier League kicked off in August. At that time, Liverpool were featured as one of the top challengers for the title. However, the club floundered in the months that followed with key players on the sidelines and careless mistakes on the pitch. In November, the domestic season took a month-long break to accommodate this year's World Cup tournament in Qatar. But since play resumed in late December, Liverpool have won only two of their last four league matches. Last Saturday, they suffered a second consecutive Premier League defeat, losing 3-0 at Brighton in a performance Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp called a low point for the club and the worst of his managerial career. Liverpool have dropped to ninth place in league standing with hopes of finishing in the top four. Jurgen Klopp has long admitted Liverpool's title challenge is over. But earlier this week, he told reporters despite his side's recent struggles, he has no plans of quitting. So, as far as I'm concerned, as what I hear, if nobody tells me, I will not go. So that means maybe there's a point where we have to change um, other stuff. Klopp joined Liverpool in 2015 after leading Borussia Dortmund to two Bundesliga titles and a spot in the Champions League final. Under Klopp, Liverpool has lifted trophies in the Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup, UEFA Super Cup and FIFA Club World Cup. However, this season has proven to be one of the toughest in his seven years with the club. Liverpool has won only eight of the last 18 Premier League matches, and Klopp admits the challenges are complicated. The, the problem is too complex. So you only can have a, 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 let me say have a good player who obviously did a lot of good stuff in the past, so that's what we are talking about. Um, and then in your mind, well, um, maybe that's it now for him. So if you can then 
go out and bring another player to replace him. Yeah, that makes sense. Both sides, good idea. Come on, it was a great time. See you later. Yes, if you cannot bring anybody in, you cannot bring anybody out. I was not that often in a similar situation, but I watch football longer than I'm a manager, and I'm, I, I know exactly how it always works when things don't go well. There are a couple of things everybody can. There's a list of things what you go through, and one of the things is the team is not listening to the coach anymore. So he, I, in Germany, we say that the manager doesn't reach the team anymore. So I, I understand that it looks sometimes like this. It's just not the case. Jurgen Klopp claims the club spent their entire budget on the January signing of Dutch forward Cody Gakpo, but Klopp insists transfers aren't his main concern. He's instead focused on pulling the team out of their current slump. And while he plans to make changes over the summer, Klopp says the current team must play better football now. Our people deserve better, and we will. We, the, the, the thing is, now I cannot promise we will fly tomorrow. But what I want to promise, we really fight and everybody can see it. Because we fought at Brighton as well, we just couldn't see it. Because we were not close enough for the, for the key battles. Liverpool is gearing up for their next key battle in the Premier League when they host 10th place Chelsea on Saturday. And the Reds will aim for a little redemption when they face Brighton again on January 29th in the fourth round of the FA Cup. And Bristol City, Luton Town and West Brom each claim victory on Tuesday in their third round FA Cup replays. They'll also play their fourth round matches at the end of the month. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uten. And that wraps up the January 18th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports. I get it.